All right, 1 Samuel 18, and uh, let me, I'm going to read one verse, and then we'll skip around a little bit and read a couple other verses. But uh, let, me, let me just read a verse at the beginning of this chapter here, verse number 2, and I want you to see this. Uh, the Bible says that Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Now, let me give you just a little bit of context who we're talking about here. Saul took him, that's David. And it says, took him that day. What day is that? That's the day David killed the giant, Goliath. Chapter 17 is one of the most well-known epic battles in all, not just the Bible, but world history. Everybody knows about David and Goliath, right? And they use that metaphor in every sports game and political realm and economic business realm. But you got a David and Goliath, right? Everybody knows about David and Goliath. That's, that day, Saul said, man, you got to stay at my house. He's already been kind of commuting back and forth, but Saul said, none of that. You stay with me. You're living in my house. So I want you to note that. That's important for the message this morning, that David is living at Saul's house. Let's look at verse number 5. We'll read several verses here. Verse 5. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? Ding, ding, ding. We have an answer there, don't we? Saul knows what's up. How many of y'all believe that? The Bible says in verse 9, And Saul eyed David... From that day forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times. Now look here. There was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Now I want to preach on this thought this morning. Grace in a hostile place. A place that where you are considered an enemy, you are uh, in fear of your life. It is an unfriendly place. How many of you would agree with me that David is living and working in hostile territory. If you got to be watching over your shoulder, see if somebody's going to throw something at you, somebody's going to attack you in some way, that's hostile territory. But I'm interested in this, and here's the message. I'll go ahead and give it to you. We'll pray. But I'm interested in this. I'm interested in how David was able to do right even living in a place where he was being done wrong. I'm interested in the fact that David was able to respond in a godly manner, in a wise manner, even when he was living in a place where everybody seemingly had 
know God about them at all. And I believe, and I believe this with all my heart, the only way you can do that, the only way you can survive living in a place like that is if God gives you some grace to do it. But the good news is this morning is that God has some grace. He's got grace for whatever situation you're in. I love that definition of the will of God. The grace of God is the God-given ability to perform the will of God in any given situation. Any situation you find yourself in, God has grace. Think about David. Think about being in David's place. What a place he was in. Man, having to watch over your shoulder because the guy you're working for hates your guts and is trying to kill you. And But yet he stayed and he was faithful and he did it with grace and he did it by the grace of God. And I think we can learn some lessons from that right here. Maybe you can apply this to your life in some way. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we love you. And Lord, we need what is in your word today. And Lord, it's, it's thousands of years ago, but it's, it's today. I mean, it's so relevant. And I pray that you would help me to preach your word with boldness and clarity and power. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help your people today. We'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Man. Well, the Bible tells us in verse number 8 that Saul was very wroth. He was very angry. This is the beginning of the end, if you will. You see, up until this point, David and Saul had a very pretty, you know, very good relationship, pretty good relationship. Uh, Saul had an evil spirit that was troubling him. Uh, David played the harp, and it would drive the evil spirit away. Uh, Saul had every reason to love David. He loved his singing. He loved his picking and his grinning. He loved his playing. Everything was good about it. And then David comes down in the valley and takes care of that enemy that nobody else could or nobody else would. Saul really loves David then. Isn't that a blessing? Man, he comes in there and whoops the enemy that nobody else could. What a blessing that is. But what happened? What happened to this relationship? Why did this relationship turn south? Why did it go sour? Well, while they're riding back into town, after the slaughter of the Philistines coming back into home base into Gibeah probably where it is that's where Saul's uh, hometown and, and where, where uh, home base was at this point he's coming back into Gibeah and all the ladies from all different cities of Israel they all come out and they're helping celebrate this great victory and they're singing and they're dancing and they got the tambourines and they're all and they're all uh, 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 just you know, doing this big show and they start singing this song and Saul loves this song. No doubt about it, he loves this song. But they added a second verse to it and he didn't approve that. He didn't say they could add a second verse to this song. But there they go. They added a second verse and it was about David and how he had slain 10,000. Saul slain his thousands, but David has slain his 10,000. Don't be rewriting my songs now. Saul got mad when David... David started getting the highest praise when David was exalted above him. And I tell you why Saul got mad is because he knew in his mind, he knew what this was. You see, he had been rejected. His kingdom had been taken from him, even though he still has the title, even though he still has the position, even though he still uh, has uh, the assignment to be king of Israel. Uh, in God's mind, it's already a done deal. So Saul in his insecurities looking over his shoulder and he knows that somebody is going to take his throne. Some 
somebody is going to take him out and God has rejected him and God was done with him. And so when David was exalted and David was exalted above himself, Saul knew this is the guy. This is the one right here that's going to take me out of here. And he said, i got to take him out first. And the Bible says that they became enemies from that time forward. And the Bible tells us that Saul did everything he could to try to kill David, especially when them evil spirits came on him. There's no longer a companionship. There is a competition that is going on. And Saul looks at David not as a companion, but he looks at him as a competitor. Somebody that i got to stamp out. i got to beat. i got to put him out of this thing. By the way, that's what jealousy does. Did you know that? Jealousy will take a companion and turn them into a competitor. Amen. How many of y'all seen that at church? How many of you seen that at home? Seen it on the job? Seen it in this world? That's what jealousy will do. Jealousy will take somebody that God has put in your life to bless you and it'll turn it all, turn that whole thing around and make you want to take out that person. Jealousy's cruel as the grave. Here's David living at Saul's house. He's a trusted soldier of the king. He also is the the trusted singer here, the the anointed singer, player. And he's simply just trying to do what... Here he is. Look at verse number 10. I see him just sitting there and he played with his hand as at other times. Y'all see that? Here he is just just trying to... Listen, just trying to be a blessing. But the Bible says there was a javelin in the hand of Saul. Saul took that javelin and he threw it at David, not just once, but two times, the Bible says. Threw that thing at David. There he is. Have you ever been attacked when you're just trying to be a blessing? You ever been hurt by the people that you're trying to help? That's where David was. Is there grace to help us when we're being treated in an ungodly manner? Is there grace to help us when we're not being treated maybe fairly, what we would think is fair? What about when you're attacked? How do you respond? I would say that, yes, there is grace for that. God, in His Word, gives us this example so that we could see how David responds. Because I'm going to tell you something. We may not be living at a palace playing a harp for an insanely jealous king, but we all live in a hostile environment. This world is hostile. If you name the name of Christ, this world hates you. Amen. And if this world don't hate you, you're not doing something right. And I'm not talking about being a jerk either. Somebody say amen. Man, we've got to move this pulpit back, don't we? Good gracious. My little preaching pad is gone right there. How about that? How about uh, living in this world? Jesus said, marvel not if the world hates you. They hated me long before it hated you. We live in a hostile world. Some of you work in a hostile place. It's not popular to be a Christian. It's not cool to be a Christian. You go to school in a, in a, in a hostile place. It's not to, to try to live for God and try to do right. You're going to get made fun of and you're going to get mocked and, and maybe you get passed over for a promotion or, or to be a part of the in crowd or something like that. And you're going to have to make up your mind that you're going to do right even if you're in a place that is not friendly towards your Christianity and your Savior. Unfortunately, some people live in a hostile home. Amen. I know we all come to church and put our smiles on and we look all nice, but man, I'm glad I don't know what goes on inside everybody's home around here. 
Amen. Some of you know what it's like to have a, a hostile spouse. <laughs> Hush, yeah, they're all right. Some of you know what it's like to have just fighting and fussing and feuding and arguing all the time, just a hostile environment. I hate to say it, but even church can be a hostile environment. Have you ever seen the church house turn into a war zone? People attacking one another and suspicious of one another and jealous of one another and talking about one another and gossiping about everybody. Can I get a witness on that? Yeah, come on. Nobody in here has ever done any of that, I know. But we're talking about everybody else. Church can become a war zone where the people you love and the people that you, you've tried to help and you've tried to be a blessing to, they, they turn around and they stab you in the back. Amen. That's not every church. That's not every time. That's not every place. But I'm going to tell you what, it, you get around people and it's going to happen. In fact, we would really would like to think of ourselves as David in this text. We're just innocent, just trying to bless everybody and then people come out. But a lot of times we're Saul. We're Saul more than we think. If you're always David and never Saul, you're not, you're not being honest. Amen. I've thrown some javelins. I'll be honest. I'll tell you, the pulpit is a wonderful place to throw javelins. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. You can throw something at somebody and they can't say nothing back. Amen. It's the, the pulpit is the coward's palace is what they say. And it's true. It's true. I've done it before, no doubt about it. You ever thrown a javelin at somebody? Jealous, mad, frustrated. Have you ever been the one getting javelins whizzing by your head? You know, the answer is not always just to walk away. The answer is not always just to give up. The answer is not always just to... Sometimes it's just a little bit more complicated than that. And one of the hardest things to do is to keep your atmosphere from determining your attitude. Being in a tough spot, being in a hard place, but not letting that affect you on the inside. Is there grace for these kind of situations? Yeah, you better believe it. I'll tell you why David was able to navigate this hostile territory successfully. It's because he had the Lord with him. Look at verse number 12. Look at what it says. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. Look at verse number 14. And the Lord was with him. Look at verse number 28. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. You say, what is that? That's grace. That's the presence of God. That's God helping you. That's God being with you. Listen, you don't need 10 strategies and 12 keys. You don't need to read how to win friends and influence people. I'll tell you what you need. You need the Lord with you. And if you got God with you, and if you got God on your side, you can withstand any situation. You can, you can, you can thrive, not just survive, but you can thrive for the glory of God in any kind of environment. Somebody say amen right there. You need grace. You need God with you. And David had God with him. Therefore, he had grace with him. And we have that same God that was with David in a tough spot in his life. How many of y'all know we got that same God living on the inside of us and His grace is more than sufficient? 
temper, any situation. The grace of God is the God-given ability, the God-given empowerment to perform the will of God in any given situation. That's exactly what David finds. He finds grace. And I want to just look at just real quick. How, how do we see the grace of God manifested in David's life? Let me show you three things from the text and we'll, we'll go home. Number one, I want you to notice this, that we see grace. David had grace to conquer his bitterness. He had grace to conquer his bitterness. You see, verse 10 sets the scene for us. Saul's being troubled by this evil spirit. I may preach a little bit on that tonight. I got, a, I got another little thought from chapter 18 I may give you tonight, but I'll say a little bit more about that evil spirit tonight. But uh, he's been troubled by this evil spirit. But you find that David was just faithful to do his job. It says in verse 10, he was there at other, as at other times. This time, though, obviously there was a javelin in the hand of Saul, what the Scripture tells us. And it says in verse number 11 that he cast that javelin at, at David. And it was no accident what he was doing. It wasn't just like, oh, that javelin just slipped out of my hand, David, I'm sorry. No, because it said that verbally he expressed his inward feelings. Do you see that in verse number 11? For he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. Y'all see that right there? So there was no... Uh, there was no question, no confusion as to what Saul's intent, what his motive was. He's going to take the, this part and he's going to pin David like you would take a push pin and pin a paper against the cork board. That's what he was going to do with David. He was going to pin him to the wall. That's what he wanted to do. Now what's amazing to me is this. Here's what's interesting to me is that the last part of verse number 11, you see this phrase. It says, and David avoided out of his presence. How many times? Twice. Okay, hold on one second. If somebody throws a javelin at me, I'm going to be honest. I'm not playing the banjo for you anymore. My days as your banjo player to help you when you got the grumpies, that ain't happening no more. We're done, we're through. That was not in the contract. I'm packing up my bag and I'm going back to Bethlehem. Somebody say amen right there. I'm done with that. But he come back, didn't he? And it happened again. And you ain't going to believe this, what happens in chapter number 19. Guess what? He comes back. <laughs> he does it again in chapter number 19, verses 9 and 10. There he is. The evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house, and a javelin was in his hand. Now listen, I'm not smart, David, but listen, man. If you're playing and he picks up a javelin or he's got a javelin in his hand, that's not the greatest time to be, uh, you know, to be in the same room with him right there. But David played with his hand. Hmm. They both had something in their hand, didn't they? Saul had something in his hand ready to hurt somebody. David had something in his hand ready to be a blessing to somebody. What you got in your hand? That's a good thought, isn't it? Lord, help me while I'm preaching here. I wasn't wrote down. That's good. I just saw that. Verse 10, And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence and he smote the javelin into the wall. How about that? That's the third time. That's number three. How in the world could David keep himself in this situation? 
I'll tell you how David could keep going back. It wasn't because he was stupid or it wasn't because he was dumb. He, he knows he's a smart young man. He's a mighty warrior. He just killed a giant. He's not, he's not a fool, but I'll tell you what he is. He's got a heart like God's. He was a man after God's own heart. Can I tell you something about the Lord? You know what he does? We keep offending him, and he keeps blessing us. How many times does God forgive you over and over and over and over? If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many times has God been a blessing to you all the while you were trying to hurt Him? You know what that's called? It's called forgiveness. It's called forbearance. It's called patience. It's called long-sufferingness. It's called we have a God that is able and willing and, and, and desiring just to be a blessing to us. And to even when we're trying to hurt Him, He comes back again and again and again. And I, we see that in David's life. Why did David keep coming back? I tell you, you can't keep coming back unless you've got some forgiveness in your heart. How in the world can you forgive somebody for almost killing you on purpose three times and hold no animosity, no bitterness? In fact, David had his chance, didn't he, later on? He could have stuck it to Saul, couldn't he? Did he do it? You know why? Because David had conquered his bitterness. Now, Saul, David does have to leave the house of Saul, obviously, in chapter 19. That is, that's the... That's the logical thing to do. But I want you to know that wasn't his first response. That wasn't his default response. He only left the house of Saul after it was abundantly clear that his behavior was not going to stop. He knew Saul was just insane and jealous and his behavior wasn't going to stop. And there's, there's something in that, no doubt about it. Sometimes it's time, it is time to leave. But I want you to notice this. David's first response was not cut you off. David's first, not, first response was not, I'm done with you. David's first response was what? Listen, David's first response was, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm going to come back and try to be a blessing to you, even though you are not much of a blessing to me. Saul hated David. But listen to me, David never hated Saul. Saul was David's enemy. But listen to me. David was never Saul's enemy. Ever. In fact, the Bible tells us at the end of the chapter here, verse 29, and Saul became David's enemy continually. But David never became Saul's enemy. Can I tell you this? And this I'm preacher, I heard a preacher say this years ago. I wrote it in my, in my Bible then. Here's what he said. He said, you cannot control what happens to you, but you can control what happens in you. y'all get that? You can't control when somebody's going to throw a javelin at you. You don't know when they're going to attack you, when they're going to hate you, when they're going to decide that they're now your enemy, they used to be your friend, but now they're your enemy. You, you, you can't determine those things. I'll tell you what you can and you do have control over. You have control over what goes on inside of you.
And if you get bitter and if you get angry and you try to get even and you want revenge and all those things, I'm going to tell you something, that, that bitterness, that revenge, it doesn't hurt the other person ultimately. It hurts the container in which it abides and it's just eating you. It's like somebody said, eating poison and hoping somebody else dies from it. And David had no place in his heart for bitterness. In our story, like I said before, we're more of a Saul than we are David because time and time again we've offended God and we've hurt God and we've sinned against God and yet He forgives us and He forgives us. He said, oh, you got an evil spirit? Let me see if I can help you with that. you got a giant? Let me see if I can slay that for you. And He's nothing but a blessing to us. Who are we to turn around and not be that to somebody else? If God has forgiven us that much, how come we can't forgive somebody else this much? Let me tell you why you shouldn't hold bitterness and a grudge and something in your heart. Because you ain't got no right to hold it in your heart. We ought to forgive because for Christ's sake, He hath forgiven us. Amen. So how is, David able, how is David able to go back in that room, pick up that harp, and play all over again? I'll tell you, it was the grace of God. It was the grace of God. And that same grace that helped David, that grace is available to you. He said, I just can't get over it. I just can't forgive him. Hogwash. Absolutely not. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. If the Lord is with you, it's the same God that was with David. If He's with you, oh yes, you can. Not in your strength, but you can in His strength. Amen. God help us. Conquer His bitterness. God gave Him grace to conquer His bitterness. Let me say something secondly here. How many of y'all still with me? Say amen. Everybody okay? God gave Him grace not only to conquer His bitterness, but God gave Him grace, secondly, to control His behavior. God gave Him grace to control His Behavior. Did you see that in the text? I'm sure you did. Verse number 5, it says, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. Y'all see that? Look, it's, it's again in verse number 14. Uh, and David behaved himself wisely. Verse 15. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely. Verse 30. David behaved himself more wisely. Four times it tells us that David behaved himself. Now growing up, that was the hardest thing to do. Somebody say amen. Being a grown-up, that's still the hardest thing to do. I can't remember how many times going out the door on the way to school, mom would say, behave yourself. Behave yourself. We had a little little green, yellow, red little thing in the, in the classroom. You know, everybody starts out on green. You know, everybody's born pure and innocent. There's no depravity in there. Everybody's on green, right? When you do wrong, you get yellow. I had one teacher that was very merciful. She put an orange in there. So it was green, yellow, orange, then red. And I needed that extra, I needed that extra spot. I needed like a, like a rainbow, actually. I needed the whole, the whole gamut there. Behave yourself. Mom used to put me a little note in my, in my lunchbox that said, Stay on green today. 
And it'd come lunchtime, and I'd open it up and see that and say, Mom, it's done too late, Mom. <laughs> It's too late, Mama. <laughs> I was on red before the first break. Oh, me. I know you can't believe that now. I'm such a, such a great guy. David behaved himself. It's what we call temperance. It's what the Bible calls temperance. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. It's a grace. It's a gift of grace that God gives His children. We call it Self-control. When somebody does something to you and you ain't got to do it back to them. Somebody slaps you and you turn the other cheek. Somebody takes your coat and you give them your cloak as well. Somebody does you wrong but you don't give them wrong. It's like our Lord Jesus Christ who was reviled and He reviled not again. He was mocked and ridiculed, and yet he had nothing but forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. David was a... Man, I'm just kind of in a talking mode. Is that all right? Let me just talk to you just for a second. We're about to get out of here, but listen. David was in a... David was a mighty warrior. Do y'all see what he just did in chapter 17? Man, he just whooped up on a big old giant. Nobody else would. Nobody else could. That giant was about 10 foot tall. Now, Saul... Compared to that giant, Saul was tall. All right, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. But he wasn't as big as a giant. How many of y'all think David could have whipped Saul? I think he could have. I think David could. Have. David was smarter. David had God with him. David was. I think he was just a warrior, man. He could take a lion and a bear and just listen. If you can beat a lion and a bear, I don't guess there ain't much you you can't do. Man, that slingshot. I read a little read a little thing. God did a study on that slingshot. He said it was like a like a 22 caliber going on. I mean, if you could get that thing just right, I mean, it could speed, velocity, all that kind of stuff. I mean, he was, and he was, a, he was a, sh- a shot. I mean, he was a hot shot with it. And he could just right on the target. He could have took care of Saul. But he never did, did he? Saul threw javelins. David played music. And what's amazing to me is this. Look, look at your Bible. This is amazing to me. Saul is throwing javelins and David is just being a blessing. And look what it says in verse 12. And Saul was afraid of David. Hold on just a second. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't David be afraid of Saul? But what is it? Saul, listen to this. Don't miss this now. David's self-control scared Saul. It scared the heebie, I mean, put the heebie jeebies inside of them. That right there, not turning around and retaliating, not coming back at him, but just coming back to be a blessing, that did more to strike fear in the heart of Saul than if David would have picked up a javelin and threw it back. I, I was, I was uh, reading the Psalms. I try to read Psalms every day. And, uh, just happened to be, it was just, I go with the date of the calendar is all I do. It just happened to be in Psalm 101. We, hey, run over just real quick. Look at Psalm 101 just real quick. I just want you to see this real quick. It happened to be this, the first psalm I read yesterday morning. Talking about David behaving himself wisely. 
Psalm 101, verse 1, he said, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee. O Lord, will I sing. I will, look what he said, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Now, there's a, I could preach this whole psalm this morning. I'm not going to do it, but I want you to say, I, I looked up what, a, I'm just trying to find the timeline. We know it's a psalm of David. It tells us that. But when did he write this? Is, is there any indications of when he wrote it? And several commentaries had, commentators had different ideas. None of them, not one of them. And so I may be way off base here, but not one of them, not even Mr. Spurgeon, who I like reading in the psalms, not even Nobody connected that with the story we just read in 1 Samuel 18. But it's amazing to me that the only place you'll find in your Bible where it says David behaved himself wisely is in 1 Samuel 18. And the only place you'll find where David said, I will behave myself wisely is in Psalm 101. I don't know if David wrote that song... I don't know if he wrote that song before he moved into Saul's house or before, maybe afterward, and this was just kind of his philosophy for how he lived his life. But what's amazing to me is this, is that there's all the I wills. There's, there's ten of them in Psalm 101. I wills or will I or something like that. You know why? You know why? It's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a will. He said, I will behave myself wisely. David made up his mind. It didn't matter what anybody else was doing. It didn't matter what anybody else was throwing at him. He was going to do right no matter what anybody else did. And can I tell you something right here? You can only control one person. That's it. You don't have control over anybody else. I can't control whether somebody attacks me or not. I can't control whether somebody likes me or not. I can't control a lot of things in this life. I can only control one person and that is Chris Simpson and he gives me fits just to be honest about it. But still, I'm responsible for one person. And so it doesn't matter what you do. I am not responsible for how you treat me. I am responsible for how I treat you. I will not give an account for how you treated me. I will give an account for how I treated you. Amen. And in this day and age of victim, everybody's a victim. Everybody's got this victim. Well, they did this, and my therapist said it's my mama's fault, and, and it's, my, it's my upbringing, and I was just raised in a bad neighborhood. All that. Listen, David has just moved into the most dysfunctional house in Israel, and he behaved himself wisely, and he controlled himself. And he lived right. He never talked out of line. He never stepped out of line. He was submissive. He was godly. He said, I'm not going to put any wicked thing before my eyes. I'm not going to hang around wicked people. Read this, read this psalm. It's amazing. All the things David... These were convictions in his life. He said, I can't control what everybody else is doing, but I, by the grace of an almighty God, I will behave myself wisely. What a great determination. We are going to behave ourselves wisely. If anybody had an excuse to kill Saul, David did. If any, listen, David could have, even later on, as he, he's hiding, he's on the run for his life, if he could have, he had opportunities. He had all, listen, he could, have, he could have done anything he wanted to Saul. Saul was asleep, Saul was unaware of his presence. Yet he never did. He couldn't do it. His heart smote him, just cutting off a little piece of Saul's garment, his heart. He's under conviction, just real fast. I can't even believe I did that. How about that? I'm going to tell you something. David was a man who was submitted to God. He was a man who was under control. And the biggest rebel you will ever deal with 
is not the teenager living in your house. The biggest rebel I'll ever deal with, it's not the carnal church member trying to stir up trouble. The biggest rebel I'll ever deal with, you'll ever deal with, is that person you look at in the mirror. And if you can keep that person under control, listen, you're doing good. In fact, you do well probably try to quit, you know, sweeping everybody else's porch and maybe keep your own clean. Amen. Everybody all right? Control yourself. I'm going to tell you something. If you never learn to lead yourself, you won't ever lead anybody else. It's called discipline. It's called self-control. And really, it is a grace. It is the grace of God as you submit yourself to God. He gives you the ability. It's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Temperance. It's not just trying harder or doing better or anything like that. No, it's as you yield to God and His Spirit controls you and, and the Spirit of God fills your life. He produces that fruit in your life. Well, I just can't help it. They, they did this to me. I had to get back at them. I just can't help it. No, we ain't going to play that game right there. You got the same Spirit of God living inside of you that David had on him. Anoint him. Amen. David had the grace not only to conquer his bitterness, but he had the grace to control his behavior. Make up your mind, by the grace of God, you are going to do right no matter what other people do to you. Can I give you one last one? David had grace from God not only to conquer his bitterness and control his behavior, but I notice this. David had grace to contain his boasting. To contain his boasting. Go back to 1 Samuel 18 with me if you're not there already, but David's humility is seen. It's exposed when he's given the prospect of marrying Saul's daughter, Merib. Saul said, David, verse 17, I'm going to give you Merib to wife. Only be thou valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. Saul didn't, Saul didn't want to give him his daughter. Saul didn't want David fighting battles. Saul was plotting against him. We know that. But I'm interested in verse 18. David, maybe he knew what Saul was doing. Maybe he knew all those things. But notice his response in verse number 18. And David said unto Saul, Who am I? And what is my life? Or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king. You say, what's that right there? That's humility. He does it again. Of course, Saul gives that daughter to somebody else. He ends up getting to marry uh, Michael, the other daughter of Saul. <laughs> and he says it again, verse 23. Saul's servant spake those words in the ears of David, and David said, Seemeth it to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing that I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? Hold on just a second. David was the hero of Israel. He's like the most famous guy in all the land. He's the one that killed the giant when nobody else thought he could. Nobody else would go out there. He's the one that did it. Uh, if anybody had a right to maybe put their thumbs in their suspenders and say, don't you know who I am? I'm David. And not only that, not only to kill a giant, but before that, Old Samuel the prophet come to his house 
and didn't pick that brother or that brother or that brother or that brother. They got me out of the field to come in and they all waited on me and God chose me and I'm the next king. He could have come up into Saul's house like, hey, I'm going to measure for some curtains if that's all right. Because this is all going to be mine. You're the old guy. I'm the new guy. You're the zero. I'm the hero. But is that David's attitude? He was humble, wasn't he? He was humble. And I tell you what, when somebody attacks me, you, I'll just tell you how it is for me. When somebody, somebody attacks me, I tell you what, my first instinct, I don't know what your first instinct, in, instinct is, but my first one is to bow up. And I'm like, who are you to say something about me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know my resume? It's not very long. Chick-fil-A, pastoring. Boom, that's it. <laughs> Don't you know? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know how many revivals I go preach? Don't you know how, how many posters I've been on? Don't you know all this stuff? Am I being too honest with you all this morning? That's what I think. Somebody wants to criticize me. I'm like, you ain't nothing. Wasn't what David did. He said, Who am I? We always say, You know who I am? You know what David says? Who am I? I ain't nothing. I'm just a dog. I'm a poor man. My family ain't nothing. I come from nowhere. God scraped me up off the bottom of obscurity and He put me here. He put His blessing on me and put me here. And Saul and David dealt with his attacks through that lens, no boasting, no bragging, no pride. I don't deserve a thing. Everything I have is the blessing of God. You say, how do you do that? you got to have grace for that. Because that's not my natural inclination. That's not your natural inclination. In fact, our attitude ought to be when somebody wants to attack you and bring up stuff about you, our attitude ought to be, well, listen, there's probably about 10 things or 100 things I could add to that list. Well, Spurgeon had a quote. I like his quote. He said, If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. If you don't like me, you only don't like me just because of what you know about me. What if, what, if you knew, what if you knew everything about me? You sure enough wouldn't like me then. Hey, well, hold on a second before you get all high and mighty. I wouldn't like you either. We're much worse than what our greatest critics say we are. David never tried to defend himself, and he never tried to promote himself. He humbled himself, and because he had humility, God and God's grace gave him both protection and promotion. See, humility did for David what David could have never done for himself. And that's how God's grace works. Miss Maddie, I want you to come around. God has some grace to help us stay humble even when we are in the middle of being attacked, even in the middle of a hostile place. No doubt about that. And we're all going to have time. Man, you know, the devil hates us. 
And sometimes he'll use some really good people to do some really bad things and discourage you and attack you. I'm going to tell you what, instead of fighting back, instead of getting mad, instead of getting bitter, why don't you look for the grace of God in your situation and say, you know what, God has grace for me to deal with what I'm going through right now. We all know what it's like. That's what Paul told Timothy, didn't he? Timothy, first Timothy's fired up, pastor at Ephesus. Second Timothy, he's crying. <laughs> Second Timothy, Paul's writing to a, pastor, a young preacher that's just been beat all to pieces by the ministry. And he tells him, he says, Second Timothy 2, 1, I think it is. He says, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the what? The grace. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's not just be strong. It's be strong in the grace. God has grace to strengthen you and help you endure and go through whatever. Whatever it is. It don't matter what it is. You say, preacher, you don't know my home life. You don't know where I work. You don't know, you don't know all these things. No, I don't. But I know a little something about the grace of God. And I know that it is absolutely amazing. And it is sufficient. And so my my plea to you this morning would be to lean on His grace.